0: Well, good morning. Um, if you're joining us today for the first time, uh, we're currently in a series on the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinth, church at Corinth, um, 1 Corinthians. Now, the subtitle for this uh, series is The Gospel for a Messy Church. Now, I, I really think this is a great subtitle. If you're familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, you would know that the word messy, you know, it's a great description of the church at Corinth. In this letter to this young church, Paul's addressing a whole host of messy sins that were occurring within the church, threatening to destroy the church from within and destroy its witness. And so in our passage this morning, Paul's going to tackle a pretty big sin, uh, the sin of sexual immorality. Corinth was a city that idolized sex. The chief god at Corinth, or goddess in this case, was Aphrodite. From Greek mythology, you may remember Aphrodite as the goddess of love. But this is not love in the Christian sense, but love in the pursuit of pleasure and self-fulfillment. In Corinth, there were three temples dedicated to the worship of Aphrodite. Not only that, her image appeared on the coins of the day. So at the temples of Aphrodite, um, there would be upwards of a thousand women prostitutes that would come out in the evening to lure the shipmasters to spend all of their money on their services. And so as a result of the influence of Aphrodite and the worship of her, Corinth was a city that that celebrated sexual immorality. This was a culture that was the setting in which this new church was starting out. So in our passage today, Paul is going to confront those in the church that were embracing the sexual sin of the culture in which they lived. There were some in the church who sought to justify their sexual escapades and had brought lies uh, into their culture and and bought into the lies in their culture. So Paul's going to speak very clearly and directly to the church, calling them to flee sexual immorality and reminding them of the price that Christ paid on the cross to secure their redemption. Now, our present culture is not unlike that of Corinth. I don't believe I need to convince you of this. We all see it. One only has to look at the movies Hollywood is producing, the music and lyrics of today's most popular songs, the magazine racks in our grocery store aisles, and the proliferation of websites dedicated to sex. A few months ago, there was a big news story about a website named Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison was an adult website, is an adult website set up to facilitate a married person and finding another married person nearby to have a hidden affair with. This website was hacked into in the personal data of, get this, 37 million accounts was available for all to see. 37 million people set up an account to, to uh, this Ashley Madison website to seek an affair As you can imagine, the lives of families and millions were greatly devastated, um, including the names revealed. There were many prominent Christian leaders. Um, One uh, Christian researcher estimated that 400 pastors resigned the next Sunday um, because of their information being revealed. And so not only is our culture not unlike that of Corinth, but as we see in the Ashley Madison story, the church today is not unlike the church 2,000 years ago at Corinth. We must not deceive ourselves. Sexual sin is a pervasive problem in the church today. Now allow me to share a few more statistics regarding sexual sin within our walls, within the church, within us as the people of God. According to a survey conducted by Barna Group in 2014, if you can show the next slide, um, they did a survey of 400 Christian men. And here's what they found. Of men ages 18 to 30, 77% look at pornography, at least monthly. Three out of four. 36% view pornography at least daily, and 32% admit being addicted to pornography. These are Christian men that were surveyed within the church. So as you can see, this is a problem not just for our culture, but a problem that we have. Now the next slide um, goes on to a different demographic. Christian men ages 31 to 49, 77% looked at pornography while at work in the past three months, 64% admitted to viewing pornography at least once a month, and 18% admitted being addicted to pornography. So as you can see, this problem of sexual sin is not just outside in the culture, but it's in within the church that we're struggling with. And so Paul is going to speak to that this morning. So my goal this morning is really to apply God's word to those within the church. You and I, pointing the finger at the culture and blaming it won't do us any good, especially when those within the church are living with the same hidden sexual sin as those that's outside the church If we don't allow the gospel to penetrate the hidden areas of sin in our lives, what hope will we have to offer to a culture that's full of sexual refugees, people that are desperately broken and looking looking for hope? No, the reality is that I became a pastor because I believe the gospel is the only thing that has a power to truly transform any area of brokenness that we have as humans. If the statistics are correct, there are likely dozens of people here today that are sexually broken. Now, with all my heart, I believe Jesus and the message of the gospel is the one thing that can save us, the one thing that can sever this root of sexual addiction and sin. So as I start my message this morning, I want to begin with the hope of the gospel. Now, the reality, I believe there's many here this morning who have been living a hidden life of sexual sin for years, maybe even decades. Now, you've tried quitting, but have given up hope that you can the feelings of guilt and shame have seemingly disappeared, and you've found a way to rationalize your use of pornography or whatever hidden sexual sin you engage. You've tried countless times to stop, but at this point you've given up. If this describes you, I too have experienced these feelings. Now I imagine this is going to shock many, but here it goes. Um, I regularly viewed pornography for many years, beginning in college and continuing to the early years of my marriage. Now, I know this is not the type of confession that you hear often from one of your pastors, if ever at all. But I freely confess this to you this morning for two reasons. First, the bondage and power of sexual sin is not something we're going to defeat by tiptoeing around the issue. We have to get real about it. When Pastor Gary asked me to preach for him uh, this morning, and while he was gone, I opened up and read this signed passage and thought immediately, okay, um, I guess this is the time when I need to share my story. For whatever reason, I take confidence that God orchestrated it this way. Ultimately, I knew that I couldn't preach this message and not be vulnerable. The second and more important reason I freely confess this to you is because I feel I can offer hope. It hasn't been easy, but Jesus and his victory over sin on the cross has been the one thing that's made all the difference in my life. So as I shared, I felt hopeless and defeated after many years of struggle. But God showed his grace in a specific moment about eight years ago. Now, the moment I'm about to describe is not going to sound like grace, but it was. The moment was when my wife, Suzanne, walked into her apartment while I was viewing pornography. As you can imagine, she was utterly devastated. But I call this terrible moment God's grace because it's what God used to bring my sin into the light. God then gave Suzanne the grace to forgive me, and he used her to challenge me to get real help. Um, It sure didn't feel like grace at the time. You know, it was incredibly painful. And it rocked our marriage. But looking back, I'm so incredibly grateful for it. So again, the second reason I freely confess this to you is to give you hope that God can bring transformation. He has in my life. Now, I call myself a recover. I, I am recovering in a sense that I will always need to be on guard against the temptation to view pornography. Now, I haven't lived perfectly in eight years since. But the hope, forgiveness, and life that the gospel offers has been my strength against temptation it's a daily struggle to fight for a superior affection in Jesus, but the daily fight for joy and satisfaction in Christ is a single thing that helps me in, the, in most of my temptations, and I'm going to share more about that later. So at this time, um, let me pray for us, and I want to open God's word here in a moment, but let's just pray that the Holy Spirit would bring the conviction needed and bring the hope that we in the gospel as we talk about this difficult ish sin. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word, and Lord, we're about to go to it now. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be softening the hearts of us, Lord. Many of us are hardened um, by a sin of sexual morality. I pray that my story would, would give us hope that, 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 Lord, you can bring change. And so Lord, as we look to your word, I pray your Holy Spirit would penetrate our hearts and speak to us and convict us and bring us to yourself, Lord, that, that by your grace we can be healed, we can be set free. And, and you would just break the chains of, of sexual sin that are in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I want to ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 20 today. So you can find a pew Bible in front of you. If you are using the pew Bible, uh, you can find our passage on page number 1131. And so I want to open by reading this passage together once you get there. Let's read God's word together. Verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So let's walk through this text and examine what Paul is trying to say to us. We're going to start, obviously, from the beginning. Let's take a close look at verses 12 and 13. Now, in these two verses, Paul begins by quoting um, a few Corinthian slogans that were be- being used by those in the church. Now, you know what a slogan is, right? A slogan's a memorable, a catchy phrase that has the ability to communicate something. Some famous advertising slogans that I'm sure all of you know are Finger licking Good, KFC, or I'm loving It, McDonald's, or Have It Your Way, Burger King. Now, slogans are short, they're memorable, But they have ability to communicate something much beyond the few words by themselves. And so those in the church at Corinth were using a few slogans as rallying cries to justify their sexual immorality. So in these first verses, Paul sought to show the terrible abuse of living according to such slogans. Now the first slogan, verse 12, Paul quotes twice. Everything is permissible to me. Or as another translation puts it, I have the right to do anything. So in, re- in response to this slogan, Paul says, in essence, hold up, everything is not permissible to you. You do not have the right to do anything. Paul's exact words in retort are, but not everything is beneficial. For the second one, he responds, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul was attempting to pick apart these, the abuse and error of these slogans with truth. Essentially, he's saying, you may think you, you can do whatever you want, but some things are very unbeneficial to you. And if you do them, you will become mastered or enslaved by them. And this is exactly what sin does. It enslaves you. Jesus said in John 8, 24, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So Paul wanted the church at Corinth to know that if you seek to live by these slogans and continue to use them to justify your immorality, then in the end, you become enslaved and dominated by the very sin you are justifying. Now we too have our slogans, don't we? In our day, um, we have slogans to justify our sexual morality, sexual sin. I didn't live in this time, but in the '60s, during the sexual revolution, there was a motto that said, "If it feels good, do it." Does anybody remember this motto? You don't have to raise your hand or date yourself, or even worse, implicate yourself with this motto. But this motto was born out of the so-called free love movement of the '60s. The motto was coined specifically to promote sex outside of marriage. Now, for the youth of today, there's a slogan popla- popularized by a rapper named Drake. Um, you may have heard of it, and one of his songs he uses the slogan, YOLO, uh, meaning you only live once. Now, the idea of YOLO is, 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 is to party, it's to live it up, because you only live once, do what you want. Now, lastly, another slogan that's been popularized recently to justify sexual immorality is a slogan that says, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So as, you, so as, as if you can leave the effects of your sin week weekend in Vegas when you come home. Uh, Too bad it doesn't work that way. So the principle that Paul is seeking to confront in these opening verses is that you may try to justify your sexual sin and come up with ways to excuse it via slogans or whatever else, but in the end, you're living a lie, and your sin will eventually enslave and master you. So Paul goes on at the end of verse 13 to say what God designed your bodies to be used for. He says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. The way we use our bodies matter. God gave us bodies so that we might glorify him. Our bodies are for the Lord and to be used to serve him. So in verse 14, Paul goes on to say, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Paul's saying here in this verse that Jesus' bodily resurrection signifies the importance of our bodies in eternity. Just as the Lord raised Jesus bodily from the dead, we too will experience a bodily resurrection one day. So our bodies matter. Our bodies are eternal. They're not a shell in which you can do as you please, but are used to to glorify God. So as we move on, let's look at verses 15, 16, and 17. In these verses, Paul's going to remind the Corinthians of a weighty and beautiful doctrine, the doctrine of our union with Christ. Um, in his letters, Paul speaks very, very often this idea that we are united and we're made one in Christ. And so union, was a, union in Christ, it's a deep, enriched uh, theological concept. But the essence is this: when you become a believer, God unites you to Christ so closely that everything that, has done in, that, G, done, that God has done in Jesus he gives to us because of what Christ is, it, because Christ lives in us, because of our union with Christ. Paul was outraged that the Corinthians were united sexually with a prostitute. Listen to how Paul describes it in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. We live in a culture today that makes sex into a transaction. A transaction that supposedly has no effect on either party when it is engaged in. The Bible teaches something radically different. In the Bible, in the act of sex, there's a remarkable and seemingly unexplainable union in which the Bible says, as we have in verse 16, two become one flesh. Sex isn't a trivial transaction as our culture would have you believe. This is the main reason God created sex to be something that is reserved for the covenant of marriage. Now, I like how one commentator puts it, because sex reflects the most intimate of interpersonal relationships among humans, it should be reserved for the most permanent of personal personal commitments. So in light of the truth of God's design that sex be reserved for marriage alone, Paul was outraged that the Corinthians were engaging in sex with prostitutes. It is because of the two becoming one flesh that, that occurs in sex that is what makes sexual sins so different than other sins that we might commit. Paul highlights this in verse 18. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. So as we look also in verse 18, the beginning, Paul makes it crystal clear what needs to be done at this point. So in the strongest way, And with the most possible force Paul can can do in his language, he says, flee. Flee sexual immorality. Run. Get away. Get as far away as you possibly can from this. Don't dabble with it. Get away. Run. Obviously, there's an urgency in Paul's commands here. Why why such an urgency? Because Paul knows. Paul knows that continuing in such sin is going to kill you spiritually. And in the end, if there's no repentance for the ongoing sexual sin, It will separate you eternally from God. It is because of this that Paul gives this urgent command to flee sexual immorality here in verse 18. Now, suppose that Paul's words about sexual immorality stop here at verse 18 with this command flee sexual immorality. Suppose these are the final words Paul leaves us with in regards to stopping sexual immorality. Now, it seems quite clear what we need to do, right? We should be able to take it from here, right? If you're living in sexual sin, whether it be prostitutes in Paul's day or or viewing pornography in our day, God's word tells us to stop, so we should. Easy enough, right? Or is it? Now, if somebody's wrestled with pornography for years, the message to flee sexual morality, while true and right, it just wasn't enough. As hard as I tried, I just couldn't stop it. Sure, there'd be times when I mustered up enough strength to stop for a few weeks, but then I would have a bad day, lose the will to fight, and turn back to it. Now the point I'm trying to make here is that, the la- is that the law to flee sexual morality is not able to keep you from sinning. The law, which is any command that says don't do something, has zero power to set you free from sin. The purpose of God's law is to show us that we are sinners and that we're in need of a Savior. We can't defeat sin on our own. We need the gospel. We need grace. Now thankfully God's word does not end in verse 18 but includes verse Verses 19 and 20. So let's look at those. So, after giving the clear command to flee sexual sin, Paul goes on to say these gospel words in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, in these verses, Paul gives several gospel truths that we need if we're going to defeat sexual sin. First, in verse 19, we are told an amazing truth. Our body is a temple, a temple where the Holy Spirit lives. Now, the, God, the Holy Spirit has many roles in the believer's life, but chief among them is helping the believer defeat sin. Because the Holy Spirit lives within us, we should not fight sin on our own strength, but must seek the power and strength of the Holy Spirit within us to battle against sin. So this is the first truth that, God, that Paul wants to remind us in verse 19. You have the Spirit. You're not fighting alone. So as we go in verse 20, we're reminded of a second gospel truth. You were not your own. You were bought with a price. And what was that price? The price Paul is referring to is the precious blood of Jesus, shed on the cross for the payment of our sin. Your sin and my sin. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, while we were at our very worst, Christ died for us. This is the heart of the gospel. God redeems us. He pays the price by giving up the life of his very son out of love for our rescue. And so this news, this message of love and grace is the only thing that has the power to break the chains of sin. So upon reminding us of the gospel truths of the Holy Spirit within us and the price that Jesus paid on the cross, Paul concludes by reminding us of the ultimate purpose for which we live. He says at the end of verse 20, Therefore, glorify God or honor God with your bodies. This is what we were made to do, to glorify God. Sexual sin, whatever form it comes in, is a direct assault on our ability and our bodies and, and on God. It's something we need to flee, and we can do it in the power of the gospel. So now at this point, um, you're probably asking, what now? What, what, what do I need to do? So I want to close by giving three um, very practical steps for how to fight sexual sin and the power of the gospel. Now these three steps are the ones that have been crucial in my life in the fight against temptation to view pornography. Now these steps, I'll be up front, they're not going to be easy. Uh, these steps are about, how to, but these steps are about freedom. They're about true freedom and fighting for it. So allow me to plead with you as we finish. Don't walk away today and do nothing. No matter what you've done, God's grace is bigger and greater than the deepest of sins, as the statistics show, there's 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 many of us in here that are facing this battle, but God can help. So this first step I want to look at of what we need to do from here is the first step that is the crucial step. Is step one is bring it into the light. We need to bring our sin into the light by confessing to God. The Bible says in First John one nine, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the first step. We need to come to God and confess, repent, tell him of what has done, what we've done. He knows already, but we need to take that step to confess to him as the Bible calls us to. And the good news is that his forgiveness is there for us. Now, after you have confessed to God, you must take another step. Um, you must take a step that may even seem like a harder step, but it's the confession to another person. It's a confession to your spouse or to your parents or someone else who can help you. The Bible says in James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now here's the truth. You can't defeat pornography, addiction, or any other sin on your own. I know I've tried for many years. You must bring sin to the light This may seem completely unbearable. You may think, that is impossible. You you don't know what I've done. I can't do it. Now remember, if you are a believer in Christ, you have the Spirit living within you. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you strength to come clean. Whatever sexual sins you have done, I'm confident it wasn't worse than King David in the Bible. As you know, David was a man who was described as a a man after God's own heart. But David had his own story of sexual brokenness. He not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, but he had her husband, Uriah, murdered to cover it up. Your sin can't be worse than David's. Now listen to what David said about bringing his sin to the light and coming clean. Here in, verse, in Psalms 32, it says this When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Don't keep hiding and allow your sin to destroy you. Bring it to the light. Satan wants to keep you in bondage. The only way to, to break the change is to confess your sin. Don't go another day. Another week in hiding. God's grace is infinitely sweeter than whatever shame you may feel. Pastor Gary and I are here. We're here um, to help. I promise there's no, there will be no judgment. It be complete confidentiality. But we're here if you, if you want to come um, or someone else. But you need to find someone to confess to. You need to bring it to the light um, where God's grace, love, and forgiveness can break into. Um, now the second step it was uh, just as, as important as well. Step number two, uh, what I'm calling remove anonymity, no secrets, set up protections. So for me, eight years ago, when my sin came to the light, um, I knew I had a problem. I, I, I knew being pornography, and, and you know how to erase things. Today, uh, Internet devices make it really easy to, to, to privately browse them without anybody knowing, and that's where sexual sin and any sin thrives, is when you can do it when nobody else is watching. What you need to do is you need to set up protections. You need to remove the ability to be able to go to that sin and do it when nobody else knows. And so for me, um, I purchased a program, and I purchased still to this day a program called Covenant Eyes. What it does is it tracks everything that I do on the Internet. So there's nothing that I can view on the Internet that somebody else isn't going to see. So my wife gets a report once a week. Uh, My mentor gets a report so they can see where I've been on the Internet. This has been so freeing for me just to know that that I can't hide, that it's going to be there when I'm watching. Now, the advent of smartphones and tablets have made it harder to use software like this. Ultimately, you need to set up and block your, your phone or your tablet from ability to be able to load other programs. You need to have a password that somebody else has because you can use other browsers and things like that. If you like Apple, I can help set that up. But here's the thing, you need to remove that hidden thing. You can't allow yourself to have that. Um, A few weeks ago, we did a a workshop for parents um, on how to protect your kids from the Internet. Research shows that kids today, um, the average age of kids encountering Internet pornography age 11. Some research says actually age 8. And so we talked about what it means to set up these filters and things to protect your kids. Parents, um, I'll be honest with you, if you have a teenage son, I remember what it was like. If you have no protection on your computers or on their smartphones or their devices, I'm not a betting man, but if I had to bet, um, internet pornography is likely hooking them. And so if you love your child, if you love your kid as a parent, you need to make sure that you're safeguarding them, you're talking with them about these things, and you're making sure that they can't hide and go in secret. Kids these days, they know how to race things, they know how to to browse when nobody's watching. And the temptation is too great. So as a parent, we need to, to learn what is the ways to safeguard our kids. And as fathers, we need to do that as well. And spouses, we can help each other. My wife helps me in this as well to know what we're viewing, viewing so we can't hide. We need to remove the anonymity. So this last step is the most important step, step number three in the battle for freedom. So you can have the best accountability partners, the best internet filters in place, but you need more than outward protections. You need, really, a new heart So this next step is the key to cultivating a new heart, and it's a step I'm calling fight. Fight for a superior affection in Christ. So what do I mean by this? Here's the deal. All humans, beings, are wired to pursue pleasure. That's how God made us. Everyone is created and wired to pursue joy. The question is, what joy are we pursuing? In whom or in what are we seeking to find joy and happiness in? Now, pornography lies to you. It can't deliver the joy and happiness that you are seeking. It leaves you empty, broken, and alone. We were made to find our joy in God alone. So in the battle against sexual sin, you must fight for a superior joy. You must fight for Christ. Make Jesus your greatest pursuit. Pursue joy in him. Immerse yourself in the message of the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Know who you are. Know your identity in Christ. Jesus is better. Jesus is way better than whatever sin offers you. Jesus offers an eternal joy, happiness, and peace that infinitely and far outweighs the fleeting promises of sexual sin and pornography. So, fight for a superior affection. Fight for joy in Christ. Come to Christ and remember what He has accomplished on the cross for you. He's already paid the price for your sin. He's paid for it on the cross. Remember that. Remember what He's done. And so, those are the steps. Bring your sin into the light. Remove anonymity, no more hiding, no more secrets, and fight for joy in Christ. Fight for a superior joy. Now, I don't know what God's doing in your heart right now, but if he's speaking to you, I want to encourage you to listen to him. Take the steps He is impressing on your heart to now. It's not going to be easy, but there likely likely will be temporary pain and coming clean when you bring your sin to light, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it living in the bondage of sexual sin. In Christ and the gospel, we can find strength and the hope that we need in this battle. Let me close by reading again the gospel truths that we need if we're going to defeat sexual morality. Let me read again verses 19 and 20 of 1 Corinthians, and we'll close in prayer. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor and glorify God with your body. Will you pray with me? God, we need you. And I just pray. Lord, my the cry of my heart. Like my, my, what I want so badly is, is for you to break the sins and sexual sins that exist in this room today. But I know the feeling of living in that for many years, hiding it from my spouse. It ate me alive. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that that you have provided and and daily provide. And I pray for those here that may be um, in bondage to it, that are hiding, that you would give them the courage to um, come to you, to come clean. Lord, they wouldn't live in this. Lord, it's one day, whether it be this week or or when we die, it's going to be revealed. I pray that we do it now. That we wouldn't wait. Lord, that we wouldn't wait. And so... um, Thank you for your word and your reminder to flee. And we pray for the power of the gospel and to remember that we've been bought with a price. Um, Thank you for the price that you gave Jesus for us that we can be rescued and set free. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.